I'm the workhorse. Put it on my shoulders and run like that is going to give him even more of the workload. Oh, and an onside kick. Northwestern is on it. At the 45, Scott Frost going for the mortal blow in this game, and now Northwestern has a short field. I don't know about that. Welcome to the Chatting Yardage Podcast, presented by Sports Strength. Now, here's your host, Cam Matthews. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood college football podcast. Welcome to Chatting Yardage. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Mr. Cam Matthews, and more than likely, if you're listening to this, you already know who I am, uh, but just in case you happen to stumble upon me as the college football season has gone underway, uh, again, my name is Cam Matthews. You can find me on Twitter at HeyCam93. I am also the co-host and one half of the Atlanta Braves podcast, Chatting Average, this show is a bit of a spinoff of that, although uh, more of a one-man show than chatting average is. But that's not to say that Alex will not have his own hand in this, because, you know, us being thick as thieves and whatnot, we had to go in and tandem on this. But but yeah, uh, kind of branching out a little bit and doing something a little bit different. You know, if you've, if you've ever listened to me on chatting average, you know, besides being a huge baseball fan, it's... It, pretty apparent especially this time of year that I'm also a huge college football fan Um, in fact we had one episode last year right around Labor Day I believe it might have even been the first weekend of college football in 2021 where we sat down to record chatting average and uh, I I had been doing nothing but watching football all day and not realizing it but Alex was recording the entire time as I just he and I just kind of bantered back and forth about the day and the week one slate and everything. And, you know, listening back to it, I, I had a really good time just talking about college football and, you know, something that I've always enjoyed. And so that that was kind of the precipice of, of starting this show, you know. Um, I think based off, of, based off of what Alex and I both want to, wanted chatting average to be, you know, when, when we started our, our Atlanta Braves podcast, we decided that, hey, you know, we don't want to be the podcast that, that is overly analytical or, you know, tries to be something that it's not, you know, at the end of the day, I think uh, we just wanted to be two guys uh, chatting baseball, and so that's that's really what we set out to do, and, and that's going to be the goal of this podcast as well, you know, I, I want this not to be a you know a deep dive into rosters or you know or, or wide receiver depth or you know or anything like that, but more or less, you know, I've spent my entire life sitting on you know sitting on the back decks with other people talking football, right? Talking about who's good, who's not good, talking about the storylines of the week, and and essentially that's what that's what this show is is gonna be. You know, it's gonna be a very just casual conversation about the happenings of college football, right? 
a little background on myself in case you didn't already know uh, and you can't tell from my accent. I do live in the South. I live in the heart of the beautiful state of North Carolina. And as you'll come to find out uh, very quickly, I am a, uh, a UNC fan. So, uh, you know, a bit of a disappointing season last year coming off of a tremendous season the year prior in which we made the Orange Bowl for the first time in school history. And a lot of, uh, a lot of unanswered questions about this season. You know, um, Drake May, the starting quarterback in game one against, against FAMU, looked, looked tremendous, of course, um, setting a school record for most touchdown passes in a debut game. But there's a lot of questions on defense, and I'm sure at some point uh, throughout the season I'll be taking a deeper dive into into Carolina football because I'm sure they're probably going to give me a reason to talk and rant and rave about them. But that's just a little a little background on me. But why this? Why, why this kind of podcast? Well, you know, I spend – during the football season, I spend the majority of my Saturday watching college football, just like I'm sure plenty of you do. I, you know, in, in a way, I plan my days around who is playing when. I, I want to make sure that I'm seeing the games that interest me most. And, and that's that's one of the heavy, heavy, you know, themes of, of this show, and it will be going forward, is, you know, what games interest me and you and you know what what are the storylines that we're looking at you know I so I'm looking forward to getting this started I'm I'm extremely excited to get this started um you know and and see what this can grow into Uh, it's been a it's been a very quick progression from you know about a couple of months ago this idea that I had to to launch this thing to to now uh, as I record this on Wednesday morning of August 31st the day before really the the season kicks off I know we had some week zero games and we have some stories to, to talk about from there we'll get into that to our next segment but you know college football really feels like it it kicks off tomorrow night Thursday night which is the, the same day that this show is being released. And if you're listening to it on the day it's released, happy Thursday, happy college football season. And that'll be the plan moving forward all year long is to release these episodes on Thursday morning so that way I can uh, preview the upcoming weekend slate of games, which will include Thursday night games uh, every now and then. And it certainly does this week because we have uh, one especially of note that that interests me. So... So yeah, that that's kind of kind of the overall theme of the show, you know. Um, more or less, I want you to feel like you, you and I are just either you know sitting at the bar chatting college football or sitting out on the front porch and enjoying a uh, enjoying a good drink and and talking about the sport that we all love, especially this time of year because it really is the the greatest time of year. Quick, uh, quick note on kind of the, the format of this show before we dive into things. I, I promise I won't do this every single week, but I felt it was important uh, for any new listeners that we might have that are stumbling across my voice for the very first time. Uh, and if you haven't cut the podcast off already, well, good on you for sticking around. Uh, the show's going to have a few uh, recurring segments on it each and every single week. Um, We'll be reviewing some of the biggest storylines from the week. Uh, We'll be taking a look ahead at 
at the upcoming weekend slate of games and the ones that I find interesting. And we also have a fun little segment mixed in there. I mentioned that my co-host from Chatting Average, uh, Alex Butler, has a hand in something in this podcast. And, well, you'll, you'll, you'll get to hear that later. A uh, couple of other neat ideas that are coming through uh, on this show that I, that I won't spoil quite yet, but uh, that that's that's pretty much the gist of what you can expect from this show each and every single week. And like I said, it, it's this is brand new, and uh, it'll be fun to see what this grows into. So that's enough about me and the show that you're currently listening to. Why don't we go ahead and dive into our very first segment here on Chatting Yardage? We like to call this segment Four Down Territory. First down. Scott Frost and the Nebraska Cornhuskers once again find themselves on the front page of college football news. And once again, for all of the wrong reasons, truly the largest news story coming out of week zero, the biggest talking point coming out of week zero as Scott Frost and the Huskers lose the first game of the season to Northwestern over in Ireland, which Presentation-wise, was a very neat game to watch. Uh, good crowd on hand, free beer, uh, just a flowing throughout that stadium, so you can't complain too much about that. But there is plenty to complain about if you are a Nebraska fan at this point. Now, uh, they, they lose to Northwestern by one score, which continues to be the common theme under Scott Frost in this regime, uh, losing close games under key mistakes. You know, we're, we're in year five now of the Scott Frost experiment, and this game was just a kind of a, kind of a reoccurring bad movie uh, for, for Frost and his coaching staff. Turnovers, uh, special team mistakes, no mid-game adjustments. Uh, it, it was a game that up and through the third quarter, uh, you know, nor, nor, nor Nebraska was handling fairly well, and yet they they lose it through some just befuddling mistakes, especially if you heard the cold open on this week's show, the onside kick when you're up 11, just kind of a kind of an interesting decision there. You know, normally I, I would say I like the aggressiveness, but you know, for for a team that really needed a win and was in a good position to come away with one in week zero, to make a decision like that is certainly uh, confusing. To say the least, at this point, Scott Frost is now 15 and 30 at Nebraska, and you may have already seen this fact. But uh, you know, keep in mind that that Bo Pelini uh, was fired from Nebraska after going 67 and 27. He had a you know had a plus 40 win differential. If Scott Frost were to win his next 50 games in a row, he would still have a worse record at Nebraska than Bo did. And, and keep in mind that Scott Frost, when he took the Nebraska job, he was the golden child, right? You know, he had done a tremendous job at UCF before coming to Nebraska. And there were, there were rumors that he had offers to come to Tennessee and, and other larger schools, and yet he chose to go to his alma mater. The prodigal son had returned, and to this point, it just has not worked. You have to wonder from a, from a, a athletic department standpoint, from a school standpoint, from a booster standpoint, is this the end of the road for Scott Frost? Uh, to this point, he has a $15 million buyout, but effective on October 1st, that buyout gets cut in half, goes all the way down to $7.5 million. 
And so looking at Nebraska's schedule up until that point, they played North Dakota, Georgia Southern, Oklahoma. They have a bye week on September 24th, and then they play Indiana on October 1st. But one has to wonder, with so much bad history and so much consistent failure, is there really anything that Scott Frost can do at this point to save his job at Nebraska? One thing that I'm, I'm going to like to do here on the show is have uh, polls throughout the week. So be on the lookout on our Twitter. You can find us, of course, at Chatting Yardage. We'll have a Twitter poll going out on Friday morning. Will Scott Frost be the head coach at Nebraska in 2023? Let's hear from you. Second down. Do you know the name Gavin Winsett? Well, you probably should, or at least you're going to learn his name, as I'm sure you're probably going to hear more about him as the season goes on. Gavin is a quarterback for Rutgers who went 5-8 and eight in 2021. He made his college debut in October last year, subbing in for a, for a single play after Rutgers starting quarterback in the game was sidelined with a, with a quick injury. Sounds pretty normal, right? Well, here's what makes Gavin's story so unique. Before he even debuted in that game, he played three high school games earlier that fall. That's right. Just a few weeks prior, Gavin was playing high school football before making the decision to leave high school early and enroll at Rutgers. In fact, he had just turned 18 before debuting collegially. So the interesting thing about this story, of course, uh, not only the fact that he played high school football before he went to Rutgers University deciding to leave high school early, is that the role that NILs are playing into these kinds of decisions. And so while Gavin isn't necessarily the first high school athlete to head to college early by any means, the fact that within a few short weeks he played on two very different levels of competition is simply astounding. So with NILs being so prominent in collegiate decisions, it does make you wonder just how many stories like this we may hear in the coming future. Now, Gavin is not has not been officially named the starting quarterback for Rutgers uh, this coming season yet. In fact, I don't believe Rutgers has made a decision on that at all. But, neat story. Be on the lookout for his name. Third down. The Oklahoma Sooners have certainly ruled the Big 12 in recent years, but last season, 2021, saw an incredible showdown between Oklahoma State and Baylor for the conference championship. First time in a while that... The Sooners were not involved in a championship decision within that conference. And so what makes the Big 12 so interesting coming into this year is that there's not necessarily a clear-cut dominator of the conference like there has been in years past. It certainly feels like there's going to be more parity in this conference coming into 2022 as we saw in 21. You know, you think about teams like Texas. Are they back? Is it too early? Longhorns averaged over 35 points per game in 2021, but still finished 5-7. and seven. This is a team that year in, year out, the analysts like to talk about whether or not Texas has found its groove again with the impending arrival of Arch Manning next year. You know, you have to wonder what kind of steps forward Texas will be able to take before the golden child arrives on campus. Then you look at the Oklahoma Sooners, nearly half of their roster is new this season, and according to, and that's coming from brand new head coach Brett Venables, who comes over from Clemson after a long tenure there at a couple of national championships, there's a lot of new with the Sooners. 
How exactly does that come into play this season? I look at a team like West Virginia. They're always a bit of a sleepy pick, always a team that has never quite taken the next level. Of course, they had that one opportunity 15 years ago, and it didn't quite work out for them. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But this is always a consistently slightly above average team. They've appeared in a bowl game 18 of the last 20 years, which feels kind of astounding. But they're also coming off of a disappointing 6-7 and seven last year. But if there's one thing that I've learned in watching college football is that you never quite count the West Virginia Mountaineers out because they always find some kind of spark each and every single season. Now we look at the runner-up for the conference last year, Oklahoma State. They've seen some turnover with their coaching staff and the transfer portal. And this offense actually had its struggles in 2021, despite being in a conference known for offense. But Mike Gundy seems to know how to turn the dials and twist the knobs to get this Oklahoma State team going. But can they take the next step? They've been close in years past, but have never quite been able to get over the hurdle. And then there comes to Baylor, uh, the defending conference champions coming off of a 12-win season. Uh, just an impressive season last year for the Baylor Bears, who had a quick turnaround from, from a program that was in disarray just a few years ago, uh, thanks to the actions of Art Bryles and others. But there's a new quarterback under the helm after the coaching staff decided to go with Blake Shapin over former starter Gary Bo- Jerry Bohannon, who immediately transferred to the University of South Florida. So with this entire conference, there seems to be a lot of new, a lot of turnover, and a lot of questions. Who's going to be the the one coming out on top in the conference that is known for high scores and high octane? Well, I know it'll be fun to watch no matter what. Fourth down. The theme of new doesn't apply to just the Big 12 Conference, But across the entire college football landscape, this offseason saw more coaching turnover than perhaps we've ever seen before. And there's a lot of new coaches in new places, new faces in new places, uh, one might say. Just a quick rundown of some of those. Miami has a new head coach in Mario Cristobal. Oklahoma with Brett Venables. TCU with Sonny Dykes. University of Southern Cal with Lincoln Riley. Florida with Billy Napier. LSU with Brian Kelly, and Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman, just to name a few. There are certainly plenty more, but premier programs with new faces at the helm. You think of a program like Miami, who is expected to have a big jump in production this season. You think about Oklahoma, who saw their their chosen one in Lincoln Riley head off to Southern Cal, but then they hire a guy who many expected to be a head coach years ago in Brett Venables. TCU moves on from their head coach of over two decades and looks to Sonny Dykes to right the wrongs uh, for the Horn Frogs. Florida, all coming off the embarrassment of last season, looks to get back into the thick of things in the SEC under Billy Napier. And then Brian Kelly, one of the more interesting coaching jumps of last season, uh, leaving Notre Dame right before their bowl game and taking the job at LSU. And then Marcus Freeman stepping up for that bowl game and then becoming the full, uh, full-time full head coach of the Fighting Irish. 
bit of a culture clash, a uh, bit of a high expectations for a lot of these new coaches. And for these programs that they've stepped into, you know, that uh, these are jobs that have had some turnover. Uh, at least a few of them have. You know, you think about Miami, uh, Oklahoma, uh, USC, of course, Florida, LSU. These are jobs that didn't necessarily stick around with their last coach very long. So you think of a Brian Kelly who is very much a fish out of water, it seems, in making the move to Baton Rouge. Or you think of a Billy Napier coming to Florida after the previous coach did such a lackluster job. You gotta wonder how quickly those seats might get a little toasty. But nonetheless, new faces and new places in 2022. Hey everybody, this is Alex Butler here with this week's Mascot Minute, where we take a deep dive into the history of some of your favorite collegiate mascots. Since this is the debut episode of Chatting Yardage, what better place to start than with me and Cam's favorite college, the University of North Carolina. The story of the Ramesses mascot, a human student inside of an anthropomorphic ram costume that is not the actual ram, is less famous but equally important to the story of Carolina spirit. In 1988, students at UNC expressed interest in getting a Ramesses mascot that could attend indoor events such as basketball games, and to help promote spirit across the campus and in the surrounding communities. At the time, UNC was the only school in the ACC without a costumed mascot. When the first Ramesses costume premiered during the 1987-1988 season, reactions were lukewarm. The first costume was designed locally and featured horns made out of clay, which made the costume head heavy and difficult to move inside of for the student. This student, the first to play Ramesses, was senior Eric Chilton from Mount Airy, North Carolina. The Ram costume also wore a friendly expression, which some students felt wasn't a strong representation of UNC's tough and talented sports teams. In the October 21, 1988 edition of the Daily Tar Heel, a senior named Mike Eisenhower was quoted as saying, I definitely think that we should get a new one. The mascot looked real wimpy. If there's going to be a new one, it should definitely be meaner. Students wanted the mascot to look more like the familiar face of Ramesses seen on the UNC logo with a tougher and more determined expression on his face. The new costume was designed by Stagecraft, a Cincinnati-based company that also designed the Demon Deacon costume for Wake Forest University. The newly designed Ramesses costume premiered at the January 1989 basketball game versus NC State. He was designed to mirror the Ramesses of the school logo with a fierce scowl on his face, a Carolina blue jersey, and a small hat. The new mascot, the true identity of which was cloaked in secrecy, was elected from 12 people who auditioned. He attended both cheerleading and mascot camp for training. The mascot, not identified by name in the January 30, 1989 edition of the Daily Tar Heel, explained how acting worked when inside of the costume. Emotions have to be expressed with hand and body movements, he said, noting that all of the movements had to be exaggerated. This version of the costumed Ramesses was more popular than the original and became a crowd-pleasing addition to both athletics and community events. This vision remained in active service until the late 1990s, when the costume was updated to the current design familiar to UNC students of today. The new design achieved a desired middle ground between the happy-go-lucky initial design and the grumpy Ramesses of the 1990s. 
Today's Ramesses was designed to look muscular and intimidating, and he has become a familiar sight at Carolina sporting events. Are there any mascots that you'd like us to feature on Mascot Minute? Hit us up on Twitter, at Chatting Yardage, to let us know. Once again, I'm Alex Butler, and this has been your Mascot Minute. Big shout out to Chatting Yardage's official mascot correspondent, Mr. Alex Butler. You can look forward to, as Alex mentioned, a new mascot feature each and every single week here on Chatting Yardage. And of course, if you have any suggestions, be sure to shout them out to us on Twitter at Chatting Yardage. Now it's time to jump into our next segment, folks. This is... This is the Pick 6 segment in which I throw out six games to you of the upcoming slate that I think you should have some interest in. Uh, Again, these are just the games that I happen to find interesting, and I'm going to tell you why. Maybe you should keep an eye on them over the next coming days. Now, of course, this is Week 1. Week 1 stretches out across an entire holiday weekend as it has uh, over the past few years, starting all the way on Thursday and lasting through Monday night. Uh, which is which is really cool. So uh, be on the lookout for these games because I think we we got a few fun ones this week that are certainly going to have some some neat storylines. Uh, first one we'll talk about is West Virginia versus Pitt. That game is a Thursday night kickoff on 7 p.m. So if you are listening to this on the morning that this show releases, by golly, be on the lookout for this one. The Backyard Brawl makes its return. The first Backyard Brawl since 2011, in which West Virginia won 21-20. Now, of course, West Virginia has taken three of the last five meetings in this classic rivalry. Pitt does leave the overall series 61-40. And three. Well, there's three ties in there because, of course, these two teams have played since 1895. This is a incredibly historic rivalry between two schools that are, I think, separated by about 75 miles, if that. But it feels it feels so crazy that these teams haven't played since again since 2011. Uh, in fact, the last time that they played each other, it was the final meeting where both teams were in the Big East Conference. Uh, now, of course, West Virginia is in the Big 12, while Pitt is in the ACC. So things have changed since the last time these two schools uh, met each other. And I made mention of it earlier, but we'll, we'll talk about it here now. Their most Probably their most infamous infamous meeting was all the way back in 2007. Funny enough, their 100th game against each other. Uh, Pitt was able to knock off West Virginia in the game that year, which essentially took West Virginia out of the BCS National Championship. Now, that's not saying much of anything in 2007 because, well, a lot of teams got taken out of the BCS National Championship. 2007, 15 years ago, was the most tumultuous college football season that we have ever seen, and uh, it, it's it's so it's crazy that we're already uh, you know a decade and a half away from that incredible season, all of which started with Appalachian knocking off Michigan uh, at the Big House in Week One. So uh, it's it's cool to see this rivalry between West Virginia and Pitt get renewed. Now Pitt, of course, is coming off of a conference championship season last year in the ACC while West Virginia went 6 and 7 last year but one has to hope because rivalries are what make college football so great that with these two teams coming back together for the first time in over a decade that hopefully there will be no love lost in this one 
Now, the next game we'll, we'll talk about is uh, number five, Notre Dame versus number two, Ohio State. Kind of the key game of the week uh, from a national standpoint. I believe College Game Day will be on location in Columbus at Ohio State. A game between two top five teams, uh, which, you know, we've gotten used to seeing in week one the past few years. You know, usually there's a few marquee matchup between some of the top ranked teams and so this is the one that we get this year so Notre Dame at Ohio State now Ohio State suffered their first two loss regular season in 2021 and that was their first one since 2017 so they had had a really good streak there of one loss in the regular season if no losses really um, and a couple of appearances in the college playoff and national championship uh, with, with no with no luck in bringing home a, a trophy in that matter, while Notre Dame ended last year with kind of a bad taste in their mouth at the hands of Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl, uh, Notre Dame's only single loss in the regular season last year was to Cincinnati, of course, who went on to the college football playoff. So a season in which both teams didn't quite live up to the standards that I think they were hoping to or live up to the hopes that I think they had for 2021. Now part of Notre Dame's Part of Notre Dame's uh, circumstances and the way their, their season ended, of course, do lead back to Brian Kelly jumping ship to LSU very suddenly uh, right before uh, bowl season started. Uh, but nonetheless, the Irish are definitely going to be looking to rebound this year. And I would say that there's more pressure on Notre Dame in, in this contest, as all eyes are going to be on the new head coach, Marcus Freeman. Now, what does a loss for Notre Dame mean in this game? What does a loss for Ohio State potentially mean uh, in this game? You know, for Ohio State, if you lose this one to Notre Dame, then, uh, you know, you have to go undefeated the rest of the year uh, through through the Big Ten in order to really make a run uh, at making the college football playoff this year. If you're Notre Dame and you lose this one, I, I'm not sure, depending on what Ohio State then does the rest of the year, I'm not sure what Notre Dame's argument could be at the end of the season. Now, many have said that this is going to be the first year that we might see multiple two-loss teams within the college football playoff just because of how schedules shake out. So it, 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 it remains to be seen as the year goes on, the team that comes out on the bottom in this contest, how that is going to affect their season week one onward. You know, there's always the the analysis that if you lose week one, especially as a top program with high aspirations, that there's time to there's time to rebuild and reload throughout the remaining 11 games on, on your ticket. But for Notre Dame, you have to wonder, can they really afford a loss here as much as Ohio State potentially can? Now, funny enough, in doing the research on this game, uh, this will only be the seventh meeting uh, between the Buckeyes and the Fighting Irish. You know, two historic teams that seemingly are, are part of the pillars of college football, so to speak. This will only be the seventh time these schools have ever have ever met. But it does start a two-year set with Ohio State traveling to Notre Dame next season. And overall, Ohio State leads the series 4-2. to two. So, uh, it, it, this is going to be a fun one to watch. I believe this is the primetime game on Saturday night on ABC. And this is, of course, one of the biggest headlining games of the entire weekend. But I'll leave you with this on Notre Dame and Ohio State. And I'm, I'm leaning this way myself. A lot of analysts agree that they're not so sure that this game is going to be a close one. 
Next game we're going to take a look at is number 11, Oregon, versus number 3, Georgia. This game will go down on Saturday as well. you got your reigning national champions, the Georgia Bulldogs, going against an Oregon team that had lofty expectations in 2021 but kind of fell off at the end. Now, remember, Oregon handed Ohio State uh, their first regular season loss uh, of the year last season, I believe, in week two. Uh, so Oregon coming off of that, you know, really had a lot of momentum and unfortunately kind of stumbled there at the very end. They lost three of their last four games, including including their regular season game against Utah and the Pac-12 championship game against Utah. So three of their last four games they lost, two of which against Utah, and then the third was their bowl game against Oklahoma. And with a new head coach at the helm for the Ducks, it'll be interesting to see how they they adjust uh, coming into their you know what is going to be one of their biggest games of the season and similar to the conversation before about Notre Dame and Ohio State you know who can who can theoretically afford a loss more you know um, if Georgia were to drop this game what does that mean for the rest of their season in terms of reaching the SEC championship um, you know, betting favorite against Alabama like we've seen the past few years? Or if Oregon drops this game, what does this mean for their hopes in climbing the rankings, you know, going from a number 11, you know, to potentially looking and being considered for the playoff this year and still having to get past a very good Utah team later on in the season? Now, Georgia does come into this game as a 17-point favorite as I'm recording this, and Oregon has a lot of unknowns in this game um, in terms of starting roster and, and, you know, coaching scheme and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, the Ducks desperately need a good showing here, especially since no one really expects them to win. And that's going to be that's going to be what makes Oregon a little dangerous in this game. And a lot of people have thrown out the national championship hangover uh, line about Georgia. So it'll be interesting to see how the dogs come out of the gate week one. Fourth game of the week to uh, to cover here is one that I find really interesting and should be an absolutely fun game to watch uh, more than anything else. That's number 23 Cincinnati at number 19 Arkansas. That game will happen on Saturday. Cincinnati, of course, coming off of a historic season with an appearance in the college football playoff. And I will argue till my deathbed that that was the correct decision to put them in if the playoff committee wants to validate the argument of why wins matter and why winning your conference matters. Well, putting Cincinnati in last year was the absolute right decision. I also believe it's going to lead to the to a more sustainable conversation about expanding the playoff. But we'll get into that, I'm sure, later on this season. Arkansas, however, is looking to build off of a very impressive 9-4 campaign list last year, which included a victory over Penn State in the Outback Bowl. Now, Arkansas, the year prior, had a losing season. But then they come in second year under Sam Pittman and put up a nine-win uh, nine campaign in 2021. You really have to like the trajectory of the Razorbacks uh, coming into 2022. Now, this is a game between two teams that they, they want to show that they belong in the conversation of those top-tier teams in college football, right? So you got one that's wanting to show that 2021 was not a fluke in Cincinnati. You know, the Bearcats want to show that 
them making the playoff was not a one-and-done type conversation, that they are here to stay and continue making a statement. Now, they are ranked number 23, so there's not exactly the highest of hopes for them, but Cincinnati is going to be looking to climb week in, week out, and a good way for them to do that is to start with a win over a very good Arkansas team. Now, you have a Arkansas team that's wanting to continue their forward momentum. You know, last year seemingly felt like they were shot out of a cannon uh, in terms of how quickly they improved themselves. And there's no reason to believe that that forward momentum is not going to continue under Sam Pittman. One thing you're going to learn about me is that while I'm not an Arkansas fan by any means, I am a big Sam Pittman guy because he is just a football guy. If you ever listen to him in press conferences, you know, this is just a football lifer who is passionate about what he does. Plus, thick boy season. We got to stick together. Anyway, uh, the, the the funny thing to look at, at, at the, or the fun thing to look at about this game is that you can you can probably expect a very high octane game offensively. And why I say that is because Cincinnati is showcasing an, an, an experienced offensive line up front. They are returning all five starters from their offensive line last season, and part of what can make a college team so good is you know is, is the trench warfare, so to speak. And so Cincinnati is boasting a ton of experience in front of their quarterback this year. And then Arkansas is coming back into this season with with their high tempo offense, no huddle, you know, hurry up offense style that we saw last year that worked extremely well for them. So it's going to be a really fun game. Probably you, you can probably expect a very fast paced game um, that, you know, both of these teams are going to come in knowing that they've got to make a statement win. And, those are some of the more fun games to watch. So, looking forward to Cincinnati and Arkansas on Saturday. Uh, Thursday night, or I'm sorry, a Friday night game that we have that's going to be an, an interesting one to keep up with for a few different reasons. It, are, it will be TCU versus Colorado. Now, it's kind of a quick transition going night and day from Cincinnati and Arkansas to TCU and Colorado. We, we we're going we're gonna to go from two teams looking to build on success to two teams trying to find some new success. Now, the Horn Frogs and, and the and the Buffalo both finished 2021 with losing records, and TCU going to have a very new look this year for the first season since the year 2000. Uh, they will be starting a season without Gary Patterson at the helm, while Colorado looks to a brand-new offensive coordinator to get things going for them. This is, this is a game between two teams that are – going to be looking to find themselves uh and so i believe this is a 10 p.m start on friday night so you know if you're if you're still up or if you're coming in from the local high school football game this will be a good one to turn on uh and funny enough this is a game between two teams that are playing for the first time ever and so those are always fun to keep up with as well sixth game of the week that you should have an interest in Number 13, NC State, on the road, going to ECU and playing the Pirates. Now, of course, NC State is coming on, coming into this season with their best team in years. Arguably, some are saying their best team that they've ever had with incredibly high expectations. ECU, however, comes into this season uh, coming off of a 7-5 and record last year, and the reason that this game is of note is that while ECU is not necessarily the team that they were 10 to 15 years ago, 
the Pirates host one of the most incredibly challenging uh, stadiums to play in if you're a visiting team. There, there is just if you've ever been to an ECU game, say what you will, you know about the school. You know, of course, the school has its own reputation, especially those who went elsewhere uh, across the state of North Carolina. And, you know, or especially if you pull for an ACC team, ECU's kind of that redheaded stepbrother that, you know, you don't necessarily let into the fort uh, to come play with you. ECU is just an incredibly challenging place to play at and always has been. There's just a lot of energy there. They have a passionate fan base. And knowing some East Carolina fans, I, I tell you, there there's such there's such enthusiasm about this game because I think that they view this game as as one that can propel them back into the conversation for one, but it would also be a win that the Pirates really need. You know, they haven't had that big win in a good while, and so uh, this is certainly a game to, to look out for. There's not going to be, you know, any love lost in this one as, you know, it's ECU will always have a chip on its shoulder whenever it plays other in-state ACC teams, whether it be, you know, State, Duke, Carolina, Wake Forest, whomever. Um, so a fun one to watch, and it's it's a game to look out for. I'm not so sure I'm confident enough to say I'm putting it on on ep, on a on an upset alert, but certainly others are. So that is your uh, your pick six games of the week. Each and every single week, I'll be posting those games as well uh, on the Chatting Yardage Twitter account in a neat little graphic with all of the broadcast information, day and time, so that way you can keep up with those. Uh, but it, in that post, be sure to reply back with games that you think I should be on the lookout for in the coming weekend. You know, there, there's we're in the full swing of things now as we hit week one of the, the college football season, and I will never say no to uh, to somebody suggesting a game that I should check out. So be sure to uh, be part of the conversation, of course, on our Twitter account at Chatting Yardage. Well, now it's time to jump into our final segment, uh, one that we'll do each and every single week. Folks, this is... The Extra Point. The Extra Point is a segment in which I'll close out the show each and every single week. It'll be a mix of either giving kudos to uh, to a program out there that has done something neat or, you know, maybe kind of a final rant and ramble uh, on my part. This week's Extra Point goes out to the University of Central Florida. Now, UCF has announced that they will be adding a Spanish radio crew to their booth for all home games this season. And it'll be hosted by the Spanish crew for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Orlando Soccer Club. So bringing in a very experienced radio crew uh, for that Hispanic market. Now, why exactly is this a smart move? Well, over 25% of Florida's population are Hispanic or Latino. And over 27% of the UCF student body are Hispanic or Latino. So kudos to uh, UCF for really tapping into a market that is that is growing in the United States, but especially in that region uh, specifically, and for a, a community that is becoming more and more uh, in, involved in in the football fandom, uh, as we've seen at the NFL level, of course, especially with other teams adding their own Spanish broadcasting crews. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Chatting Yardage, the debut episode of Chatting Yardage. Uh, We certainly hope that you have enjoyed it so far. And uh, the way we're going to close out the show each and every single week is we're going to end with a fight song of the week. 
Uh, we'll be picking a random fight song from a random university as our outro music each and every single episode. So uh, that's a really fun part that, again, you can be part of the conversation of to suggest different fight songs uh, that you think we should close this close this show out with. We'll be closing out week one with our fight song of the week, Charge On by the UCF Marching Knights. My name's Cam Matthews. We'll talk to you next week. This has been the Chatting Yardage Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. Want to be part of the conversation? Follow the show on Twitter, at Chatting Yardage. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode.